A lot of people are now writing Daniel Dubois off because of the fact that he quit against Joe Joyce, which is to be expected. Whenever a fighter quits or gets knocked out badly before he even reaches world title level, it's common for that fighter to get written off by a whole heap of people. I mean, in the case of Daniel Dubois, I've even seen some pretty prominent boxing pundits in the industry writing Dubois off. They might be right to dismiss his chances in the future, but then again, they could be wrong. There's a couple of examples of British heavyweight prospects who were written off by certain people and they turned out to be correct in their assessment. The first one being Audley Harrison. Before Audley Harrison had even turned pro, I think this was not long after the Olympics, where he won, won a gold medal, Johnny Nelson wrote Audley Harrison off. Johnny Nelson says, I don't think he's going to make it as a pro. And that was a pretty eyebrow-raising comment for Nelson to make at the time because Audley Harrison was Britain's first Olympic gold medalist at super heavyweight, I think, ever. So for him to say this guy's not going to make it as a pro, when most of us, myself included, didn't really know that much about Audley Harrison. I knew a little bit about him from the amateur circuit, but he's not somebody who had watched loads of his fights and had all the inside track on who he was and what he was all about. But you have to assume that Johnny Nelson did to make that type of assessment because there was a lot of fanfare and people were very excited after Audie Harrison won the Olympic gold. I know now people say, oh yeah, of course Johnny Nelson was right. But at the time, people didn't know, the general public, most boxing fans didn't know what Audie Harrison's character was like. So, and he just won Olympic gold. So why wouldn't people believe in him? So Johnny Nelson turned out to be right, of course, about Audley Harrison. Then a few years later, a certain Mr. David Price emerged on the heavyweight scene in the UK. And I was one of the people who, from very early on in Price's career, was a skeptic. And again, at the time, the British boxing public were very high on David Price. They believed that he was the next best thing. And in hindsight, of course, you can look back and say, well, there was slim pickings back in the days in terms of British heavyweight talent. But as I say, uh, the majority of the boxing public were behind David Price and they believed in him. Whereas myself and a few other YouTubers at the time expressed our skepticism. Now, unlike Audley, I had actually seen a lot of David Price's fights in the amateurs. And I'd seen him get dropped multiple times. I'd seen him get stopped. And so when he turned pro, to me, I needed some convincing. And I remember when he fought Matt Skelton. I'm sure that video's still up on my channel. But I remember when he fought Matt Skelton. And I said, and he won that fight in two rounds. But I said that there were moments in that particular fight where David Price showed vulnerability to me. I noticed in his body language and from a technical point of view, the positions that Matt Skelton was able to get him in. I thought, nah, that there's something not right here about David Price. 
And I'm not convinced that this guy can go all the way. And of course, myself and a few other people were proven right. We basically wrote David Price off. I mean, let me not go as far as saying I wrote him off, but I was very, very skeptical of David Price from day one. And eventually, of course, you know, most people wrote him off after the Tony Thompson defeats. So those are two examples of British heavyweight prospects who were written off and rightly so. But with Daniel Dubois, it is a bit different. And let me explain why. Dubois, for one, is more impressive, at least to me, from an athletic point of view than David Price. Now, I did put a post up back when I was on Facebook. I'm no longer on Facebook. I won't have anything to do with Facebook ever again. I just do not like the way that company conducts business. But back when I was on Facebook in my boxing group, it must have been a year or so ago, I put up a post basically writing Daniel Dubois off, saying, no, maybe it was two years ago, but I basically said in his post that I think he's the new David Price. And subsequent to me putting up that post, he had a couple of performances, Richard Latte, Nathan Gorman, and I changed my tune a bit after those performances. I said, okay, maybe he's a bit better than I gave him credit for. And after this performance against Joe Joyce, where yes, he quit, I think that he is better than a David Price. I don't think he's going to go out like that. Um, I could be wrong, but think about it. I know that you got all these people saying it was so obvious Joyce was going to win. Uh, I can't believe people were picking Dubois, easiest money I ever made, and so on. These people are acting like the fight wasn't competitive. These people are acting like Joe Joyce dominated from the start. He absolutely didn't. It was a highly competitive fight. Joyce was the more composed of the two, no doubt. He was the more relaxed. He paced himself better and he had much more energy in the tank by the time the 10th round rolled on. But in terms of scoring the fight, objectively, that was a close fight. You could have easily had Dubois up by a couple rounds or Joyce up by a couple rounds. That's the kind of fight it was. A lot of nip and tuck action. And for a guy like Dubois, who's so inexperienced, who only had whatever it was, seven senior amateur bouts, and he hasn't fought a great level of opposition as a pro so far, for him to go in there with a guy like Joe Joyce, who is bigger than him, physically stronger than him, more experienced, a seasoned international amateur at elite level, fought in the Olympics, the WSB and so on, and even as a pro, for the likes of Bryant Jennings and Berman Stavern, for Dubois to do so well against him and to push him so close. I mean, they were in the 10th round. There was only two more rounds to go after that and there was all to play for. For him to be able to do that, I think puts him already above the likes of a David Price, in my opinion. And... Daniel Dubois was the first fighter in Joe Joyce's career thus far who has made Joe Joyce hesitant about throwing his power shots. So Dubois can take heart from that. 
He can take confidence from that. That a guy as experienced as Joe Joyce, who sparred countless rounds with Anthony Joshua, who's fought Philip Hergovich, who's been in there with so many people, and isn't afraid to let his hands go normally. But against Daniel Dubois, after he felt a few Dubois right-handers, he thought, let me not even risk it because this guy does punch very hard. And this is a guy in Joe Joyce who has a very good chin. So Dubois managed to, I don't want to necessarily say intimidate, but he managed to discourage a very tough, very experienced fighter from throwing any power punches at all. <laughs> right, because Joe Joyce threw hardly any power punch. Everything was was jab, jab, jab. And yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. He just kept using the jab. But it was a razor close fight. Joyce must have known that it was a close fight. But yet he still didn't want to take the risk of throwing any power shots, which he normally would do. He would normally let his hands go. So again, Dubois can take confidence from the fact that his power was impressive enough to discourage Joe Joyce from letting his hands go, which is out of character for him. So there's lots of plus points for Dubois, lots of positives he can take from the loss to Joe Joyce. As far as him quitting, you know, he, uh, according to reports, he suffered a fractured eye socket, nerve damage, and a bleed on the retina. Now I'm going to make a separate video about Eddie Hearn basically uh, casting aspersions on the claims of Dubois' injury and how severe it is. Make a separate video about that. But let's just assume it's true. Dubois did the right thing from a logical perspective in terms of preserving your own health. You know, he clearly felt like there was something wrong. There was a lot of pain in the eye is, you know, apparently much worse than just a normal swollen eye. And if that means that he saved his vision and saved his career and therefore didn't end up like Anthony Agogo or somebody, then he did the right thing. But as others have pointed out, as Eddie Hearn himself has pointed out, fighters are not normal people. Fighters are willing to go above and beyond See, it's, a, it's an extreme sport and it's an extreme environment. And the people who participate in it at the highest level often have extreme mentalities. These are not regular civilians. <laughs> okay, so among them, among the fighters, they're going to look at the fact Dubois quit against Joyce and see it as a weakness. That's just the reality of it. And so fighters are going to go in there now against Dubois and they're going to think if I can just get through whatever, whatever he's got I can get to him he's quit before I can make him quit again in fact I'm going to go for his eye I'm going to make him feel paranoid about the other eye I'm going to swell up his other eye and make him think the same can happen to that one you see so that is definitely something that Daniel Dubois is going to have to cope with and deal with moving forward I do find it funny that Frank Warren is all of a sudden happy for fighters to quit. <laughs> because this is a guy who's been highly critical of fighters in the past for quitting. But now that his golden boy, Daniel Dubois, has quit, now all of a sudden he's saying, oh, it's fine, fighters quitting. <laughs> you really got to laugh. 
I've always, go look at my history, go look back at my videos. I've always gone easy on fighters who quit in tough fights. I'm not talking about journeymen who get hit with a glancing blow and they just find a comfy place on the canvas to go down and you know that they're not hurt at all. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about fighters like Dubois who get an injury like that. Amir Khan, who was dropped several times against Terence Crawford or hurt several times. Kel Brook against Errol Spence. I'm talking about fighters who are in real fights like that, tough fights, and they end up quitting. I've always, during the entire time I've been on YouTube, 10 years now, I've always gone easy on fighters like that. Because at the end of the day, I'm not the one in there taking the punches. So who am I to say he shouldn't have quit? He's a cat. Like, that's ridiculous. I've never been in that position. I've never had a fractured eye socket. <laughs> and the thoughts going around in my head about what's going to happen. Am I going to get blinded? I've never been in that position. So it's ridiculous for me to, uh, to be overly critical of fighters quitting in situations like that. Okay. But with Frank Warren, he has been very critical of fighters who have done that in the past. He's very opportunistic, as we all know. But now the shoe is on the other foot. Now the tables have turned. Oh, now Frank Warren's cool with fighters quitting. <laughs> Although, several people have raised this point, and I think it's a good point. MMA fighters tap out all the time. And they don't get labeled as quitters or... And I know among some MMA fighters, there is this kind of... Uh, extremely macho situation where some fighters say, I'll never tap out. I'll never tap out. And there are some crazy, and I'm going to call them crazy. There are some crazy MMA fighters who never tap out. I mean, I've seen videos in MMA where a guy gets his arm completely snapped because he refuses to tap out and stuff like that. Guys who get put to sleep, you know, get choked out because they refuse to tap out, all this kind of stuff. Now, <laughs> Those guys are crazy, <laughs> okay? But generally speaking, in MMA, it is acceptable to tap. You don't, you don't get tainted for the rest of your career because you tapped out in a fight. Whereas in boxing, if you quit, that's exactly what happens. You get tainted for the rest of your career. You're a quitter. Unless, of course, you come back and redeem yourself. I mean, in the case of Vitaly Klitschko, he quit against Chris Bird but he managed to redeem himself against Lennox Lewis. The Lennox Lewis fight was, so, even though Vitaly lost, that fight was so vital at redeeming his reputation. And after that Lennox Lewis fight, not, hardly anybody ever talked about the Chris Bird fight again. It's like the Lennox Lewis fight had almost erased it from history. <laughs> you know, that's what redemption can do for you. So Daniel Dubois is going to need to have that kind of fight. He's going to need to have a fight where he's forced to dig deep, where he's taking punishment, and he's going to have to come through in order to redeem his reputation. So at the moment, they're saying Dubois is going to be out for five months. Again, I think Eddie Hearn casting aspersions on the severity and nature of Dubois' injury I think it's fair game, to be honest with you, because Frank Warren's always taking shots at Eddie Hearn. He's always casting aspersions about things Eddie Hearn says. 
uh, without absolute proof. And so Eddie Hearn doing the same in return was fair in love and war, you know? <laughs> it is what it is. Both guys are being opportunistic. They're rival promoters. I mean, what else can you expect? But as I say, um, Daniel Dubois moving forward five months out the ring. When he comes back, yes, they need to put him in there against uh, someone durable, but not somebody too dangerous. Maybe a Christian Hammer, Hammer, a Marius Wax, someone like that. I think those are good names. And Frank Warren in the past, because I've been you know following this guy's career from the 80s. Frank Warren in the past was generally very good at building fighters up, giving him the right fights at the right time. I mean, just look at Billy Joe Saunders when he was with Frank Warren. Frank Warren built Billy Joe Saunders up very, very well. And obviously, Billy Joe Saunders, I'm not sure if he was managed by Frank Warren. Maybe he was managed by somebody else at the time. But either way, Frank Warren presented a list of opponents for Billy Joe Saunders and his management, uh, assuming Frank Warren wasn't managing him. And in the UK, promoters can manage fighters as well, by the way. The, the Muhammad Ali Act doesn't apply in the UK. Sometimes you get people in the comments saying, what are you talking about, Hatman? A promoter can't manage someone. It's against the Muhammad Ali Act. The Muhammad Ali Act is in America. It's not in the UK. <laughs> promoters manage fighters all the time in the UK. Anyway. So, yeah. Uh, Frank Warren's normally very good at picking the right fights at the right time for his fighters, Billy Joe being, ex being an example, he presented opportunities, a list of opponents, and Billy Joe and his team picked opponents along the way, and it was done very, very well. But in recent times, two of Frank Warren's uh, fighters who he was grooming for stardom in Anthony Yard and Daniel Dubois, they weren't built, they weren't brought along anywhere near as well as the likes of a Billy Joe Saunders. And of course, a lot of it comes down to just how good the fighter is, you know, their mental state and all that kind of thing. But as a promoter, matchmaker, and the managers, you have to, you know, you have to take all that into account. You have to take into account what your fighter is like mentally. And Anthony Yard, he went from fighting absolute stiffs to fighting Kovalev. Just one fight after the next. He fought some American guy that was nearly 40 years old who I'd never heard of before in my life. Who didn't look very good. And the next fight, they put him in with Kovalev. And then Frank Warren, you again, you really got to laugh at the way Frank Warren responds to these things. He said, well, yeah, we put him in with Kovalev. There's no pleasing some people because you put him in with someone and they say, oh, he's no good. Why are you feeding him these these knockover jobs. Then you put him in with somebody good and they say, oh, you put him in too early. You can't please him. What an absurd thing for Frank Warren to say. As if th there's no level in between these journeymen Yard was fighting and Kovalev. There are several levels in between those two fighters. And so you're supposed to go through those levels steadily rather than just jumping from one all the way up to the top level. But again, Frank Warren is... Uh, acting like the fans are stupid in not being able to see this. So, Anthony Yard, he would have gained experience from the Kovalev fight, no doubt. But 
if he'd had some intermediate fights between fighting the last journeyman he fought in Kovalev, he might have beat Kovalev. I mean, maybe the opportunity to fight Kovalev would never come about, would have never have come about. Maybe Kovalev would have gone on and fought and lost to Canelo. And then when would Anthony Yard fight for the title? But at the end of the day, if Anthony Yard had beaten Kovalev, right? Let's say he'd stopped him in that eighth round. Would Anthony Yard at that point have been ready for the rest of the guys at the top of the 175 pound division? In my opinion, no. He still needed more developing. So they could have done a better job in building him up and getting him prepared for whoever he fought in his first world title fight. Same goes for Daniel Dubois because the likes of Fujimoto, Ebenezer Tete and all these guys, how were they supposed to prepare Daniel Dubois for someone like Joe Joyce? And it's not just preparing him technically, it's preparing him mentally. You know, you have to be in there in highly in competitive bouts. You, you have to be in there against guys who are posing you problems, who are making you dig deep at times. You need that before you move on to the next level. I mean, Anthony Joshua had it, right? When he fought Dylan White, he, he faced some actual adversity before he stepped up to world title level. And Anthony Joshua, of course, showed a lot of heart, not only in the Dylan White fight, but even when he fought Klitschko in a unification several fights later. Daniel Dubois, his heart is now in question. Again, I'm not saying he can't redeem himself, but it's fair to question his, his heart because did he know that his... Uh, eye socket was fractured did he know that he had a, a bleed on the, on the uh, was it a bleed on the retina or uh, on the iris or the, I can't remember exactly what part of the eye they say he had a bleed on but either way did he know those things or just, did he just feel like my eye hurts I don't know what's wrong with it I'm gonna quit so yeah now Daniel Dubois I heard uh, Spencer Fearon talk about this. Dubois is a very interesting character because here's a guy who is physically very imposing. Six foot five, built like the Incredible Hulk. But he has the demeanor, and I'm not being disrespectful here, I'm just being, just being real. He has the demeanor of a little boy. He is extremely shy and introvert and I've always found that curious in in all these years I've been watching boxing I have never seen a fighter in my life as shy and introvert as Daniel Dubois now when I mentioned this in the past about Dubois I had some people say well Mike Tyson was shy when uh, he was young no Mike Tyson on certain uh, television shows where they had a big audience and stuff like that. He was somewhat shy. He came across on certain television shows because of all the, all the people in one place and all that kind of thing. But when Mike Tyson was interviewed in the gym or on the street, 
He, he never came across as shy at all. Mike Tyson was running around as a teenager, robbing adults. Okay, Mike Tyson was a bully and a, an absolute terror and a tearaway in the streets. This was not a shy person. It may be earlier on in his childhood, he may have been shy when he was getting picked on and bullied. But that changed. And Mike Tyson became a very aggressive, very confident kind of person in the streets. At school, Mike Tyson was a tearaway. Even when he was up in the Catskills, he caused all kind of problems in school. He had confrontations with teachers and all. This is not the type of personality that Daniel Dubois is. At all. The comparisons between Dubois and Tyson in terms of their personality and demeanor are totally off. Daniel Dubois strikes me as somebody who is that way, extremely introverted, even in his day-to-day -day life. Never mind just when he's at a press conference or there's an audience there. Even in day-to-day -day life, he's a very introvert kind of person. Now, I don't know Dubois personally. I don't know his family, but Spencer Firon says he's, you know, he knows Dubois and his dad and all that kind of stuff. And he basically inferred or implied that Daniel Dubois has been groomed to be a fighter since he was a little kid at the expense of a normal social life, at the expense of normal social development. You know, like one of those uh, monks or something. <laughs> uh, I was going to say Shaolin monks, but some people say the, the Shaolin monk thing is all fake. Uh, as in the Shaolin monks all being Kung Fu experts or karate experts, whatever martial arts they, they do. But anyway, <laughs> that's an aside. Spencer Fearon was suggesting that he's been groomed from a young age, presumably by his dad, to be a fighter and hasn't developed the social skills and hasn't developed in terms of his personality. He hasn't matured the way most people would by the age of 23, I believe Daniel Dubois is now. And I think that is significant. I think that if you've got a guy who is essentially a child in a man's body, you can't possibly hope to get a man's performance out of that person in terms of mentally. Yeah, physically, he's got the strength of a man. He's a very strong man. But mentally, there's some development that needs to take place. Now, assuming Spencer Firon is right, and it's just a case of him being uh, groomed to be a fighter at the expense of a social life. Assuming he's right about that, then it's an issue which probably can be fixed. But if Daniel Dubois is just extremely introvert anyway, irrespective of whether he was groomed to be a boxer at the expense of a social life, if he's just that way, hardwired to be like that, then maybe there isn't anything that can be done. Maybe he's just one of these kind of people who you know, mentally is just uh, not quite as, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. He's just very introvert. And is he an introvert person who's a deep thinker? Because, you know, some introvert people are deep thinkers. 
and they're highly intelligent. Again, I don't want to be disrespectful. Daniel Dubois doesn't come across to me like one of those kind of people. He comes across as someone who's just introvert, but in the way that a child will be introvert, where, he, where there's almost like an innocence about him, where he doesn't know that much, where he's not really that deep. So it's interesting to see how Daniel Dubois' career plays out from here. But as I said earlier on in the video, he can take confidence from the fact that he did so well against Joe Joyce. I think that Frank Warren and Martin Bowers need to pick much better fights for Daniel Dubois moving forward, development, development fights. Um, and that Daniel Dubois, I'm not saying he needs to go out there and party, but it probably wouldn't be a bad idea for him to, again, I don't know anything about his social life, but he strikes me as somebody, and from what Spencer Theron was saying, strikes me as someone that maybe doesn't have much of a social life. And if that's the case, I think it would be a good idea to develop that side of his life because that would help him grow as a, as a person and as a human being, you know? And I do think that that would help him. It would give him a next level of confidence, I believe. Uh, if he was able to do that, it would give him a next level of confidence in his boxing. So, yeah. That's my take on Daniel Dubois and his future. I'm not writing him off just yet. I know a lot of other people are. But I've seen fighters come back from situations like this. Maybe not fighters with the type of personality that Daniel Dubois has or appears to have. But given the fact that he's so young, people can change. You know, when you're young, your personality and your psychological state is a lot more malleable than when it is when you get like to my age. When you're an old man, you pretty much are what you are. Yeah, you're still going to learn and whatever. And as long as you keep your mind open, you, you have that ability. But you're not going to change as much in terms of your personality, your mindset, your demeanor when you're in your 40s as you are when you're in your early 20s, you know? And I'm sure there's some scientific or you know, reason for that, why the, uh, the neural pathways in the brain, are they more set by the time you reach your forties? I don't know, but generally that's what you find. Younger people, their personalities, their behavior, their demeanor is more malleable. It's more subject to change, quite dramatic change than, uh, older people. So we'll see what happens with Daniel Dubois but he's got plenty that he can take confidence from. At the end of the day, every cloud has a silver lining. It all depends on how you look at things. See, people who are able to come back from adversity, the main reason they're able to do it is because of the way they look, the way they perceive the experiences they've been through. Most people are going to look at a situation like that, if they went through what Dubois went through and, and they're going to start doubting themselves, oh, I don't have the heart, I can't do it, this, that, and the other. And therefore, they're not going to be successful. They're not going to be able to redeem themselves. But other fighters or, or other people, their mentality is actually, I did really well in the fight. I did this well. They're going to focus more on the positive. 
And those are the kind of people who can come back, who can redeem themselves, who can prove people wrong. So it's all about how you look at the situation. Do you have a positive mindset or a negative mindset? The vast majority of people, let me not say the vast majority, but the majority of people have a negative mindset. That's why the majority of people never fulfill their dreams and ambitions. Because they don't have the requisite level of self-belief. They don't have the requisite level of positive attitude. When something bad happens, they lose confidence and they believe, oh, well, no, I'm no good at this. This is the majority of people. But the successful people who are a minority, they don't think like that. It's all, it all comes down to the way they think. It's not all about talent. There are people with tremendous talent but they don't have the confidence and they don't have the mindset to make the most out of it. There's not enough self-belief there. Never underestimate how powerful and how much of a difference having the right mindset can be when it comes to achieving anything in life. You know, you see all these uh, fighters and many other people who suffer really bad injuries and the doctor says, you'll never walk again. You'll never fight again. And the fighter says, rubbish, I will fight again. Now, in some instances, of course, the fighter doesn't. But in many other instances, against all odds, the fighter comes back and he fights again. <laughs> you know? So having the right mental attitude is so vital when it comes to achieving anything in life. When it comes to achieve, when it comes to overcoming any type of obstacle. So I'll leave it there. Let me know what you guys think in the comments below. If you'd like to access all my boxing content advert free and enjoy the convenience of listening via a podcast app with the option to download in high quality MP3, then consider joining me on Patreon. In addition to the aforementioned perks, you'll also gain access to exclusive weekly live stream Q&A sessions and hangouts as well as uncensored, no-holds-barred uploads, which are too blue for YouTube. This includes my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. Just head on over to my Patreon page and select the tier called Hatman Boxing Extra. There's no contract, there's no commitment, it's only £2.50 a month, and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of hardcore boxing enthusiasts by signing up with me here on Patreon today.